You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 450 of the Columbia Calling podcast. I'm back from the expedition with National Geographic that took us along the Caribbean coast from Cartagena up to Panama. You'll remember a few weeks ago that I did Panama down to Cartagena and all stops in between. That's what we're going to talk about. It'll just be me, kind of a monologue, some live segments that I recorded whilst I want to say on the road, but it was kind of on the sea. Uh, but yes, I'll have some live segments from each location that we stopped on and some thoughts about each location, hopefully to inspire some of you to travel at least this um, high season, that's December 15th to January uh, 15th here in Colombia, or just to travel or inspire you to come to Colombia in the future. There's a few bits of housekeeping to talk about. First and foremost, thank you to author Lachlan Page, who has sent us very kindly and very generously sent two copies, or well, two editions, two books that he's written from Australia all the way here to Colombia. So his first book is called Magical Disinformation. And of course, we had him on the show talking about that. And the second book is called The General of Caracas. Uh, these are great books. And I think uh, you should really consider reading them. They're funny. He's got a good turn of phrase. And of course, there's a lot that follows the news here in Colombia and around the region because well, the fiction is based on non-fiction, and it's just kind of unbelievable. So thank you to Lachlan Page for sending those over. That's pretty cool to get them. They're going to go into our library in the San Rafael Hotel in Montpos, where I'll be spending this Christmas with my family. So if you're coming through Montpos, do drop in. Say hello. I'll show you the books as well. You could borrow them during your stay, but that's it. Uh, aside from that, updates, my little uh, startup editorial company is coming along very well. It's called Fuller Vigil. We have a website, uh, Fuller Vigil. Uh, the second word is V-I-G-I-L. They're both surnames, both of from my family in the back, uh, back of beyond. And of course, my wife Alba's family as well, as a Vigil. So yeah, check that out. We have, we will have a book in print within 10 days in Spanish. It's a children's book, so young children, sort of seven, eight, nine, and it's called El Año Viejo, and we focus on uh, traditions and practices for New Year's Eve in Colombia. And it is illustrated by my stepmother, the artist Paula McCall. So you will be able to get that in print this year within about 10 days from now. Isn't that exciting? Uh, the World Cup has started. Colombia's not there. So who are you going to support? Ecuador, Costa Rica, or someone further south, Argentina or Brazil, or so on. So think about it. Who are you going to throw your weight behind? And further updates, 
And my book on the culture and politics of Colombia is almost complete. I hope to bring that out early next year. And our two books, two works of non-fiction, one by author Barry Max Wills, who's based in Anserma Caldas, and my own, uh, based in Montpós, are looking to be ready for publication and print in the third quarter of 2023. So mine is called The Mompos Project, Lifting the Veil, a story of love and hotels in Colombia. And Barry's is Better Than Cocaine, and it details his life starting up and running a very successful coffee farm in Anserma Calda. So exciting times from us. I'll leave you with a few thoughts from our patrons, of course, from our sponsors. Thank you to them. Do support them. Do sign up. Do have a look because, well, of course, that's how we make things uh, tick over here. And, of course, consider, please consider supporting us on patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. All sorts of goodies on there. And I think as soon as I've got the book out, the culture and politics book on Columbia, title as yet undecided, Send in a few ideas if you want. Uh, as soon as I've got ideas for that book out, I think I'm going to end up gifting it to some of you who have stuck with us through thick and thin on the Columbia Calling podcast for several months. And therefore, you guys will no doubt get a copy of that book, either digitally or in print. So keep an eye out for that. I'll leave you now in the capable hands of Emily Hart with the news. And then we'll be back with some live recordings that I made on the road with the National Geographic expeditions traveling from Cartagena up to Panama. A little bit of travel inspiration for you this week. Thank you again. Don't go away. I'm Emily Hart and these are your top stories for the week of November 21st, 2022. Official negotiations between the Colombian government and guerrilla group the ELN, the National Liberation Army, have begun in Venezuela. Oti Patino was appointed head of the government delegation, a former guerrilla with the M19 group, a conflict expert and a close friend of the president. More surprisingly, President Gustavo Petro invited José Félix Laufaurier to be part of the negotiating team. The director of FEDEGAN, the Cattle Ranchers Federation, sits on the political far right, leading a group often historically linked to right-wing paramilitarism, a close ally of former President Álvaro Uribe and husband of Petro's most vocal opponent. Israel Ramírez, alias Pablo Beltrán, will be the head of the ELN delegation, a position he already held during failed talks with the government of former President Juan Manuel Santos. Colombia's economy grew 7% in the third quarter compared to the year before, the government statistics agency announced last week driven by growth in the entertainment sector as well as in information and communications. Growth between July and September was driven by arts, entertainment and recreation, which expanded nearly 40%. Information and communication grew 14% and construction registered growth of 13%. Agriculture, the only sector to contract, shrunk by 1.4%. The technical team of the country's central bank forecasts GDP growth for this year at 7.9%. For 2023, it is 0.5%. Famous pornography actress Esperanza Gomez has been at the Constitutional Court, testifying against Instagram, 
who closed her personal account on their platform, despite it having, she says, no explicit content. Closing the account merely for belonging to her is discrimination and is, Gomez argues, a widespread issue for those working in the sexual content industry, whose personal social media profiles follow the terms of service, but nonetheless find themselves censored. The case could make waves in the world of social media and impact many users of the social network Instagram, as well as other platforms. It touches on a broad spectrum of legal issues ranging from corporate law to freedom of expression and equality. It could set an important legal precedent. And as unusually heavy rains continue in Colombia, ministers announce ongoing plans for relocation and a fight against hunger. Priorities will include guaranteed assistance with relocation of those affected by flooding and infrastructure damage, support for community kitchens, the extension of the school feeding plan, fertiliser subsidies and debt forgiveness, as well as a broader battle against inflation, particularly in food and energy prices. Those were your top stories for this week. Thanks for listening. And so, as promised, this is episode 450. It's a travel inspiration episode, just kind of like a monologue with yours truly here. But, well, it's fun to talk about travel in Colombia and to give a bit of a lightweight uh, episode every now and then. Don't uh, don't uh, switch off, because it's not all that lightweight. We do discuss other things, but sometimes it's just nice to switch and swap and change up some of the topics here on the podcast. We'll have some more episodes for you before we take a break in December. You know, we all need a break. And of course, producing a podcast week in, week out can be quite laborious. And finding people who don't flake out each week in order to interview them. But this episode 450 is to discuss what I was doing. I did two expeditions with National Geographic and Lindblad Cruises. Uh, It's an expedition that goes, well, the first one went from Panama down to Cartagena, and the second one, which I just came back from this weekend, went from Cartagena back up to Panama. So if we look at Cartagena, you know, the eternal city of Colombian tourism, we left Cartagena going up via Santa Cruz de Islote, so supposedly the most populated island per square meter in the world, although sometimes I have some doubts about that because if you think of some of the islands in Bangladesh or other places, even islands in the Cunayala in Panama, it seems that there might be more people. But this is Santa Cruz de Islote. The history is very interesting. Settled by, well, former slaves and fishermen from the Cartagena and Berrugas areas. So it was too much travel. So they settled and they set up homes on top of a coral reef basically 40 minutes out from around Tolu and Coveñas. Now, it's not my favorite place to visit, but at the same time, it is kind of fascinating seeing how these people live and, and, well, I mean, I guess they flourish on this tiny island. Um, But you are visiting a fishbowl and you do affect where you're visiting. That's one thing that we should always bring into account Then, of course, in the afternoon, we were on Isla de Tintipan. Uh, It's nice when there's no people there. And, of course, it's a very beautiful beach on these islands out there in the Islas del Rosario. But at the same time, 
it was a long weekend in Colombia, so that brings with it what you can only imagine, music and scantily clad, augmented people, noise, and so on. It was not the ideal place for this trip, and, well, we'll be talking about other things around that with the organizers, of course, before going on to Cordoba, and we'll talk about that. But first, uh, we go into Cordoba, and on the first trip, this is the first cruise expedition to ever go into Cordoba. So we were received by the governor of Cordoba, the mayor of San Antero, where we actually docked, and just about anyone who's, or everyone who's anyone in tourism and so on in that area. We then drove out to Tuchin. Tuchin is, a, is an indigenous village, Zenu people, Zenu family, out beyond uh, Lorica and on, about an hour and a half away from San Antero. It would really be only about half an hour if the roads were any good, but the roads are pretty bad. But on the first trip, because the governance and the politicians of Cordoba were so, well, they were careful about tourism coming to this area because it's international tourism and a cruise expedition of this type has never, ever been there. And so we were accompanied, our bus, with about six, you know, police cars and motorcycles and so on. And when we got to Tuchin, there were policemen on horseback. And I have to say, it was in my mind, entirely unnecessary. And the overwhelming presence of security led to certain people amongst our group, largely from North America, uh, to be nervous because, of course, they thought that we were entering dangerous places. But, of course, in Tuchin, you have the indigenous guard and they look after the place and you're in a big indigenous reservation up there. Why did we go to Tuchin? Well, Tuchin is the home of the Sombrero Volteao. So, National Heritage of Colombia, UNESCO World Heritage in, uh, item, and you all know, it's that iconic hat from Colombia. And when you go there, they walk us through the five stages of making the Sombrero Volteao, from the Caña Fletcher cutting, to the scraping, to the stripping, to the dyeing, drying, and then weaving, and then stitching, and then the final, um, the final product. Of course, in the town itself, you can buy, you can buy uh, your hats there, and baskets, and all sorts of things. But it's a fascinating place to visit, not really designed for tourism, and that's what made it so special. And we were really, we really appreciated the visit to this place, and I've been twice now. And so I'm going to now leave you with a recording I made whilst in the village of Tuchin. And I think you should remember that the children as young as seven were already learning how to weave the hats. It was quite a cultural experience. So over to the recording. We're in the town of Tuchin, Cordoba, heartland of the Zenu people, and here in the community where there are 180 families living and making the iconic Sombrero Volteao. A symbol of Colombia, not the symbol of Colombia, but a symbol of Colombia. And especially anyone that comes up to the Colombian Caribbean coast will know the 
traditional and iconic colors of sort of the beigey natural color with black, uh, obviously used by all cachacos when they come to the beach on the Caribbean coast. We're here with the National Geographic uh, Expeditions with Lindblad Cruises. It's a, the fourth week, and so that's the fourth tour that goes from Cartagena to Panama City, or Panama City to Cartagena, depending on what's most convenient for you. But one of the highlights of this trip, of course, is uh, this visit to the community up here, which until the first National Geographic expedition had never received foreign visitors in their town. So now we're here in their town, and not only are our visitors incredibly appreciative of of this uh, trip here but the town itself is uh, amazingly pleased to share the experiences of making the sombrero volteado which has millennial roots in its design not so much the cowboy hat style but the actual weaving style millennial um, millennial roots to it so we go through five stations which show us each part of the hat making experience and then from there we see a shop at the end of course where most of the clients and most of the passengers do indeed uh, buy a hat excellent uh, trip Re highly recommended to anyone who's in the region of cordoba san antero monteria so all of those places you can get here from lorica in under an hour so highly recommended thank you again and so that's the end of that recording, this first recording. Now over to me again here. And, and from Tuchin, we headed back to Santa Cruz de Lorica. Now, Santa Cruz de Lorica is really not very visited. It's really not a place on people's, uh, well, on their agendas, on their itineraries. And it does suffer from a lack of infrastructure for tourism. But there's a few square blocks, and it has been restored, or it's under restoration in a lot of places but there's a few square blocks that are worth visiting and having lunch in and walking around the first being the marketplace it is very arabesque and of course it's all down to the syrio-lebanese uh, architecture and of course migration to this area along the river sinu and it's fascinating in that respect and go to the market on a day when it's bustling because it might resemble better better resemble a souk in the Middle East. Uh, and then you can wander around around the four blocks at the minute in the middle of the city, and there's some nice areas along the riverbanks as well. And you'll see the old houses built with the inspiration taken, of course, Republican houses. So we're looking at houses built around the same period as, you know, Republican era in France, so after the French Revolution. That's why they're called Republican. And the designs and so on. Now, it's not a town set up for tourism, so you will be exotic there if you visit. But there's some interesting things to while away a few hours. I did not see if there are any decent hotels, uh, but outside you can leave and you can get back to Covenas or Tolu or somewhere else. Monteria is even not so far away, Sincelejo as well. Should you need to stop somewhere, there will be decent uh, residences, hotels in these areas, of course. Um, we'll see how it goes, but... Um, if tourism grows, there will be greater investment, but it's not a place for tourists. And it really was fascinating. The house alongside the market 
uh, is owned by a gentleman who actually owns some houses in Montbos as well. His name's Edgar, and it did belong to his family. Now, he does. He did have a word with me alongside the guide the other day, and he's like, oh, you know, these guides, they make up whatever you want to hear, and they tell you whatever they think you want to hear. But I'll tell you now that 20 years ago, this house was not in my family's possession, and it was a brothel, but I bought it back. Of course, I think... Uh, the guides would do better to tell that story because it's, it just, you know, it, it brings a smile and it, and it shows a reality of what's going on in the country and what's going on in the town. But uh, you should go, maybe eat some fried fish at the market or maybe go around the back where there's like Delicias de la Abuela or something like that where you can get some good food. And then, of course, you know, move on with your itinerary because, to, I mean, Lorica is, is small it's compact, what you have to see, but it is quite charming. And uh, you can see all the different styles in the church as well, in the main cathedral around the plazas and the houses. And if you are so inclined, you can see the house that the Cha family were born in. So the former presidential candidate, Alejandro Cha, was born in and so on. And these all have their arabesque uh, influences as well. So I'll give you the recordings because also we were received by a well, that cumbia band playing in the plaza. So that was a lot of fun too. We're now in the town of Santa Cruz de Lorica, right on the banks of the river Sinu. A thunderous, thunderous uh, rainstorm has just passed. Perhaps you can hear motorcycles in the background, which seem to be ubiquitous at this part of the world. But Lorica is an overlooked destination for tourism. The historic center is pretty small itself and doesn't take much more than an hour or hour and a half to wander around. The real, uh, the real sight to see is the market, the old arabesque market right on the banks of the river Sinu. And you could possibly even eat some fried fish at the local stalls there. It does feel like a souk. It does feel like uh, somewhere in the Middle East. And that's really because um, Lorica is a place that has been very much populated and been made important by uh, people of Syrian and Lebanese descent who left under the uh, auspices, well, they left when the Ottoman Empire was underway the back there, back in the day, in the last century, the century before last. So you do see this in the designs, in the architecture, even in the newer designs in Lorica, you can find arabesque in, uh, elements. And of course, the names are so very much from that part of the world making this a, quite a unique place to visit as yet i've not seen hotels that you can stay in if you were coming to visit i'd sort of recommend you probably found somewhere else uh to to stay if you came this far i'm sure up in monteria or elsewhere you'd find decent hotels in which to stay so we are here in lorica it is a national heritage town in colombia and somewhere that is just well it's definitely memorable. And of course, as I said, the building next door to the marketplace, a house built by an Arab gentleman as a token of love for his wife many years ago. The guides here will tell you all about the history of it, but one of the true histories is 20 years ago when the family bought it back, it used to be a brothel. Those are the little, little known stories behind it. So Edgar, the owner, opens his doors to visitors and you can see some of the curiosities within. But the jewel in the crown is, of course, the town's market. 
We continue here in Santa Cruz de los Rica, here on the National Geographic cruise, the expedition to Colombia. And what we have now is some local cumbia music coming up, the bullerengue and so on. You can hear it in the background, a little performance being put on for us. I think this music obviously completely captures the joie de vivre or the alegria in this part of Colombia and all parts of Colombia where music is so ubiquitous uh, and, and loud but uh, this kind of thing really shows what the culture and the music means to people as an identity could be for in itself music as a, um, a country campaign couldn't it for for Colombia rather than trying to pigeonhole various things of course they did try with uh, siente el ritmo feel the rhythm but it wasn't explained enough however very special always to be included and to see uh, folkloric presentations of this nature And so our time in Colombia was coming to an end. Uh, we finished in Tuchina Lorica, and the boat moved on up out into the seas, and we went across the Bahia de Urabá, so the Bay of Urabá, uh, all the way over to Capurgana, where we then dropped anchor. So in Capurgana, part of the Choco region, but the Caribbean side of the Choco. As you'll know, the Choco is mainly the Pacific side of Colombia, but this is that narrow, narrow stretch that joins up with Panama. And so we were on the Caribbean side and we spent time in Capurgana and we spent time also in Sapsuro. And both are very special places. And I'll give you a little talk about each, but Capurgana is the place where a lot of the boats carrying uh, migrants from all around the world will go and dock and then they get bussed and jeeped all the way to the beginning of the trail where the Darien Gap starts uh, on their hope to go up to North America. And also Sapsuro is a kind of, well, it's kind of paradise really, beaches and and just little cafes, very bohemian style, uh, and, well, just wonderful, clear waters, and definitely worth a visit if anyone's seeking out something a little bit more adventurous, a little bit far away. I don't know if you can get there by land. I think you have to come up via Necocli or Turbo. And, of course, there's another place further up called Akandi, where you could also stay as well. And people, I mean, people love it. People swear by these places, so... Always worthwhile thinking about these things. So I'll give you a little bit of a background on Capurgana and Sapsuro before moving on up into Panama. So listen on. Today's report comes in from Sapsuro in the Choco region, so on the Bahia de Urabá. 
but it's this deep Caribbean side of the Choco. If you listen carefully, you can hear the tropical birds and, of course, the rainfall into the, well, exuberant foliage and greenery of a jungle of this side. Just over the bay is Capurgana, so it's over the, over the hill. And that, of course, is one of the stopping-off points of the migrants starting on the trail to uh, the United States through Central America, but on the trail to the seven to ten day trek through the Darien Gap. That's right, 66 miles, but could take seven to ten days. So walking back through the jungle from the Las Dianas waterfall, a little waterfall, but scenic all the same, fire ants, bullet ants on the ground, plenty of mud, but we're being shown the Iraca palm palm used for the we well the leaves are used for weaving and roof making but the heart of palm they make a ceviche out of it here and our guide is cutting down some of the iraka palm to show the group there she is iraka palm so we stopped off at a house belonging to Chris and Sandra Sandra Guzman they have a little cafe here in Sapsuro and Chris originally from the midlands in the uk yep you can find us everywhere uh, all over and he's kind of created a sustainable home for himself with a garden that looks a bit like the garden of enon and he knows all about the medicinal plants and the plants that can be eaten so stop in by get a coffee and talk to chris from the midlands originally yep up here in this corner of paradise there is a guy from the uk and so for our guests and ourselves, that was a farewell to Colombia from Capurgana and Sapsuro. And we opened, we were out into open water up into the Cunayala area of Panama. Of course, the Cuna themselves extend across Panama and Colombia. Originally, originally they were land dwelling people, but they were, they were fought out and beaten out by the Embera tribe. So they came out and settled the San Blas Islands in this Kuna autonomous territory here in southern Panama. It really is quite idyllic, these white sandy beaches, tiny ones, the kind of ones you see on picture postcards of where people want to go and travel and, and obviously turquoise blue um, seas. But really the interest is visiting the Kuna uh, villages and seeing how they live without being too intrusive and of course purchasing a few molas the traditional textiles that the kuna do so amazingly but what we've got a clipping of here for you now is an event that i've never seen before and no one on the trip and none of the specialists have ever seen we had our paddle boards out on the beach and while people were negotiating molas and so on and enjoying a cocktail Two of the Kuna Yala ladies, the Kuna ladies, decided to take out our paddle boards and have a race. Uh, these are, you know, these ladies are very shy, very timid, and they, their faces didn't change at all. They stayed very stern-faced. But the others on the shore could not believe it, and they were shouting, and they were laughing, and it was just phenomenal. So you'll hear that in this next clip. What you're hearing are members of the Cunayala tribe uh, people here in, in Panama, San Blas region, and they're out on the uh, paddle boards for the first time, and their families are, well, quite excited and excitable.
And so, as you guessed, people have been out on the paddle boards <laughs> and mastered it in seconds, putting all of us to shame. Amazing. If you do find yourself in southern Panama or visiting Panama, I highly recommend the San Blas Islands for the Cunayala traditions and culture that should be visited. Obviously, organize it and buy some molas when you're here, the brightly embroidered uh, fabrics. After the Cuna uh, visits in San Blas, we moved on up to Portobello, so a place sacked several times by English pirates or the Navy, depending on where you stand. Uh, it's a small town, UNESCO World Heritage, in a bit of decay, but they are rebuilding the old customs house. It is interesting that the UNESCO requires any rebuilding or refurbishment or restoration to it will imitate or copy entirely uh, the original form, especially the exterior. So the customs house was built with coral. So who knows where the coral came to build this quite substantial building. Panamanian tourism people seem to believe that the building will be ready as a museum in December. Having restored a few buildings myself and having worked with, uh, well, I don't know, companies and individuals in Colombia, I would say that perhaps for January or February it might be ready, but they plan to have a big interactive museum to show how the wealth from, well, Southern America came up, much of it through the Isthmus of Panama and up to Portobello. Supposedly, Sir Francis Drake is buried in the bay somewhere in a lead casket, but no lead casket has ever been found to locate him. So I think he was probably just wrapped up and, and tossed in. But at the same time, it's a nice legend that he's there. We had obviously folkloric dancing and uh, and some well ridiculing of the Spanish, which takes place in the in the dancing and the practices. Some cumbia music, a little walk around the town, take a look at some of the uh, some of the old names in the tombs and the church, and then it was on to the Panama Canal, which we arrived at in nighttime. And I've got two segments: one from the evening going through the first locks and in the morning finishing up the trip and so this morning after last night's crossing of the three locks sherman fort coming up through the canal we docked in the edges of gatun lake only to move this morning further in to be able to visit the Smithsonian Institute, like sort of scientific investigation laboratories here on the island of Barro Colorado. Of course, it's a false lake flooded in order to create the lake and the water thoroughfare for the canal. And so for this island too is a false island made, but it's now an absolute nature hotspot and researchers come from all over the world to study birds and fungi and bats and so on so much here at the dock if you're lucky you might see american crocodiles but we see guti and quati the barro colorando is a nature monument created in 1923 and protected under the 1940 Convention of the Nature Projection and Wildlife Preservations in the Western Hemisphere. 
And so there you have it, the trip that we did, the uh, Nat Geo Lindblad expedition up and down the coast of Colombia. It went four times, so up, back, up, back, and was incredibly successful. It was sold as a cultural trip, and indeed it was. It was far more of a cultural trip than a nature trip. But when we were up in Panama, we really saw some amazing stuff, uh, including the limpkin bird and including the uh, was it the red uh, mannequin. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but we saw a whole bunch of birds that I know that birders would be very, very happy to see the Kukui we saw as well. So it was a fantastic experience to do this once. And hopefully next year, this time next year, I can be, again, another ambassador for Colombia, talking about all things. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this different take on the Columbia Calling podcast this week. We've tried to mix things up again. And, uh, well, I recorded all of those pieces, aside from the ones right now, but all of the ones on site as I was there. So you'll be able to hear the... I hope you enjoyed the noise in the background, the ambience. Uh, I really had a great time. But now it's back to the grind here in Bogotá and getting ready for high season in Montpós. Again, if you're passing through, stop in, have a coffee. Uh, I'd love to speak to some of you and also borrow one of Lachlan Page's books. Uh, So, of course, please support us on patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling and... Yeah, well, we'll have more uh, updates for you in coming weeks as well. Around the middle of December, we will be taking a break until early January. So that's me signing off for today. And now over to some words from our sponsors. Thank you again. Bye-bye. The Columbia Calling Podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. The Columbia Calling Podcast is also proud to say that we are sponsored by BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator in Colombia, providing a large range of private day tours, transportation, and bespoke packages throughout Colombia since 2017. By popular demand, from January 2023, they will be providing exclusive small group shared tours for those aged 50 and over. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's columbiacalling.co, or the Plan My Trip form on the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's bnbcolumbia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all your questions, and to start the planning of your Columbia adventure. So please support our sponsors, our patrons here on the Columbia Calling Podcast. That's bnbcolumbia.com and latinnews.com. Thank you again.
Hey, Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh, yeah. I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. 